I'm going to take a break from my uh, series on Jonah this morning. Uh, we'll pick that up and finish Jonah next, next Sunday. Uh, this Sunday I wanted to do something very different, almost topical. I know that's almost a blasphemous word here. <laughs> but let me ask you this question. What good can come from Nazareth? Remember that line? When I talk about Jesus, what good can come from Nazareth? <laughs> Can't be Jesus. <laughs> I mean, the question is, what good can come from such feeble beginnings? And sometimes we look at kids who've been left and maybe in a broken home and we wonder, are they doomed? Is that it for them? And let me read you off some names, and I want you to be able to see if you can tell what these names have in common. Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's uh, and children's advocate. First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt. First Lady Nancy Reagan. Edgar Allan Poe. Michael Orr. Uh, professional football player, inspired the movie The Blind Side. Marilyn Monroe, Sarah McLaughlin, Tim McGraw, Steve Jobs, John Hancock, Jamie Foxx, President Gerald Ford, President Bill Clinton, Eric Clapton, all of these, all of these were adopted. Now, for some of you kids who are thinking, who are those people? Batman was adopted <laughs> by Alfred. <laughs> Superman was adopted by the Kents. Back to reality. Esther was adopted and became a queen. Moses was adopted into a family and grew up into be a, one of the greatest royal advisors and led the greatest exodus in history. And then supreme of them all, Jesus was adopted by Joseph, who at one point wasn't his father, but became his father. And so all were adopted, all were brought into a family that loved them, that cherished them, and were born into a new family. And it was never, it was never God's intent for a child to be without a family. God's heart burns for these children. It burns for these children. We see that from the beginnings of Scripture to the end, that God relentlessly pursues and protects and stands up for the helpless and the hopeless. Today we're going to see in Galatians 4 how serious God takes adoption. And if you looked at our meditation, God says that adoption is heavenly first and it's earthly. And so we're going to look at what is adoption. We're going to look at the need for adoption. And lastly, we're going to look at the glory of adoption. Please stand for the reading of God's word. We're in Galatians chapter 4 verses 1 through 7. If you have a hymn Bible, I believe it's on page 974. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. 
but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. May be seated. Father, we come to you now. We ask that you would speak, not because it is part of our order to do so, but because we need to hear from you this morning. We need to connect with the creator of heaven and earth. And Father, we ask that our hearts would break for what breaks your heart. Would you tug on our hearts, rework our minds and our hands to your work of adoption this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said earlier on Friday, just two days ago, August 7th at 2 p.m., we got to partake of a very beautiful thing in adopting Jordan Asher Thompson. Uh, He got a new name. He got a new status. He got brought into our family. And just want to say we're so grateful for all of you who came out uh, to support and all of you who've been praying for us for a long time and supporting us and giving us encouraging words uh, because it was a long process uh, that when we despaired, we needed your words of encouragement. So thank you. Didn't think this day would ever come. Uh, But God is good. He executes justice for the fatherless. Deuteronomy 10 tells us. And it was a right thing. It was the good thing for him to to come into our family. But the question is, what is adoption? What what, what is that? And as we've said it already, it's heavenly before it's earthly. Uh, It's both heavenly and earthly. The doctrine of adoption, uh, caring for the oppressed, the weak, the helpless, is something God has been doing for a very, very long time. It's not something that we invented. It's something God passionately cares about. Our care for for orphans is rooted in God's care for orphans. His message isn't about the orphan out there. His message is about the orphan in here first. That every single one of us is born orphaned without our Heavenly Father, without that connection. And God cares for those orphans. And so God is fiercely, passionately cornering you to bring the fatherless into the family. Psalm 68 says he's the father of the fatherless, the protector of the widows. Psalm 82 says he gives justice to the weak and the fatherless, maintains the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Isaiah 1 says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. (laughs) He cares. He cares about those without a father. And Ephesians tells us that adoption was predestined from before the world ever existed. That adoption was predestined. It was thought about before he he made the stars thousands of light years away. Before he made this dusty planet and poured water over it. (laughs) 
he was thinking of this intimate relationship of bringing the marginalized into his family. Adoption wasn't second best. It was God's plan from the beginning. Before the foundations of the world, he was thinking of us, adopting us into his family. And so what is it? Well, Galatians 4 tells us in verse 1 and 2, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he's the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date is set by his father. And so the background of what Paul is talking about here, he's answering the question, if Abraham is to have as many children as, as the stars are in the heaven, who, who are those children? Where are those children? Is it just the biological children? Is it just those who've come from his seed or what? And so Paul is answering this question that it is those children, but at some point in time, it's not just those physically born of Abraham, but it will be like those as an heir to an estate. And what Paul is explaining here is, a, is a, like a wealthy boy who's walking around his father's territory and looking at all of his land and saying, that tree is mine. <laughs> that river right there is mine. That cow is mine. <laughs> he's looking around. He's seeing all of this estate that's saying, this is all mine. And at the same time, none of it is mine. Because up until a point, he lives like a, like a slave, like a servant. He's under protection of guardians. He can't even plan his day. He is, he, he is treated like a child. And for good reason. The, you know, the, the, the child needs the discipline. Otherwise, he'd squander all of his dad's inheritance uh, up until a point. And so they, they, they tell him, up until this point, you will be disciplined into this nature of saying, none of this is yours yet. This is why this culture celebrates bar mitzvahs so much and, and sees the value of it so much, that there is this transition from boyhood to manhood. It's a big deal. It's a, it's a transfer of, uh, of identity, of being a boy to becoming a man. And so at one point you lived, even though you were in this beautiful mansion, this beautiful estate, as a slave. But at this one point, in this one day, when you have become an heir, you are adopted into the family. And you are no longer a slave because God has brought you to the family and you become an heir. And so that everything that you see is yours. There are countless stories in foster care children who have food issues, who at a very young age didn't have a mom and dad that would offer them the typical amount of food you would get. They've been deprived, they've been neglected, either their, their parents used the money on drugs or they, they watered down the formula to save some money. And so at a very young age, at the ages of two and three, these, 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 these kids become hunters and scavengers, trying to get the food whenever they can. I mean, you get into survival mode, that kicks in. And then when they come into a new home, into a, a home that says, hey, all the food I have is yours, that doesn't translate yet. And that survival mode, they're, they're still in it. They don't know this new home. They don't know this new family. And so what we see a lot is these kids who have these food issues will steal food whenever they can. Swipe it. 
and put it under the pillow, put it under their bed, and eat it late at night. And it's a sad, sad thing because they're still in that survival mode. And I know I've, I've heard a story one of my friends told me that they, their boy who came to their home had the same issue, except he would sneak out at 2 a.m. in the morning and go to the kitchen and make himself some food. And they'd find the breadcrumbs, and so they knew it was happening. And so what they, this family did was they, they got up, and they got in the kitchen, and they put out a whole spread of food. And so when the boy turned on the light, they said, everything I have is yours. Can I make you a sandwich? And here's a beautiful, beautiful picture of adoption. You've been brought into this family, and everything that I have is now yours. Adoption is this beautiful thing of being brought into the family and having the full rights and the full, to, to all, to be what it is to be a son of this family and to be truly a son and daughter of this family, a full heir. It's this one-time act. It's not this process, it's this one-time act, but it, but it has these rippling effects into eternity. When we were at the courtroom the other day, the court made very clear, this is a forever decision. Correct? This is a forever decision. You're not, this is, you're not trying this out. And we said, absolutely, this is forever. We are committed to this. And so it's a forever decision. What else is adoption? Verses 4 and 6, he says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so we, we learn here, is that when he says he redeemed those, we learn that adoption is costly. The word redeem carries with it the, uh, the word of pain, payment. And to redeem those, he paid for us. And what did he pay for us with? He paid for with his whole life. He gave everything for us. And so adoption was enormously costly for Jesus. And it's enormously costly for some of you who uh, adopt internationally. There's financial costs. But even besides that, there, there, it's an enormous cost emotionally to have your heart bended and broken and mended again and broken again. and It's costly. But lastly, what I want to say about what is adoption is that it's legal. And it's beautiful. <laughs> and I thought I'd never say that. <laughs> I thought me as the a true, rebellious, younger brother probably would never say that the law is beautiful. <laughs> But there is something beautiful about what happened on Friday. To be in the courtroom, to see a judge in his robe, and to have the backing from the state of Texas that he is our child forever. Oh, <laughs> it, was, it, it was a special event. It meant a lot. Courtrooms typically aren't the warmest of places. <laughs> kind of cold. But we needed that cold atmosphere, but we, need, we needed that backing of the law to be the foundation for, for the warmth that's about to happen in our family, that he will be forever our son. He had no clue what happened on Friday. <laughs> like up here, he was crawling around under the table. <laughs> but it was a big day. Because the law says that he is our child and nothing can take him away.
And Paul hammers that same point here in this passage. It says that he was born under the law, meaning he was born subject to the law to fulfill all the law's requirements. He, he was born to do what we should have done to redeem us. And so without Christ fulfilling all of the law, if he would have just brought us into his family, that would have just been a cosmic kidnapping. But that's not what happened. He was backed by the law of God to say, no matter what, because of this law that I have fulfilled, you are forever fixed in my family. The law says so, and it's a beautiful thing. You can't take that away. The law is beautiful. <laughs> really. But this is the, none of this would, have, would, would matter, none of this would have happened if there wasn't a great need for adoption. And oh boy, is there a great need. Go back to verse 3. It says, In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And Paul reminds us that when we were children, we were slaves, slaves to the elementary principles of this world. It's this odd phrase, wondering what that means. He's saying we were slaved to this way of thinking, this elementary way of thinking, that the way I relate to God is through the Ten Commandments. That if I can keep these laws, then I'm right with God. Then I'm okay. And that if I, if I can love God, love my neighbor, do not covet all the Ten Commandments, and say, if I can do that, then I'm okay with God, and that all of a sudden now I become enslaved to those Ten Commandments. I become enslaved to the law as a way to relate to God. And it's this helpless situation. It's this, it's this scary situation that we're saying, this will give me life when this is death. It's as if a, ch- a child who is, who is starved is saying, I've got to eat this poison because it's the only thing I have around me. We are children feasting on the poison and saying, I have to have life here and it's killing us. Ultimately, we're doomed. Ephesians says we are, we are children of wrath. And so the need is huge. We're the helpless. We're the hopeless case. And unless God is for those helpless and hopeless cases, we're doomed. But that's not what we see in Scripture. That's who God is after. We see all over Scripture that He loves Israel, not because they're this great and glorious nation. In fact, they were the smallest of nations. They were the ones that were the helpless, hopeless case. So Hosea 11 says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. God decided to love those that were enslaved. And then when he comes in to save those enslaved, what do they do? They thank him and live happily ever after? No. <laughs> they bite back. They kick back at their, at their rescuer. And so he saves the hopeless. And then they, they fight back and say, we don't want your salvation. And so the pattern for adoption is set there. That God is after the helpless and the hopeless, even if they don't want it. So it's no surprise that when he comes, that we spit on him and that we crucify him. So the need is huge, spiritually. Here on earth, it's huge as well. Here in Waco, in McLennan County, it's huge as well. The fact that there were over, in 2013, there were over 217 kids removed from their homes 
just in McLennan County. And then a year later, in 2014, there were over 307 kids removed from their homes. And then in this, this year, halfway through the year, over 500 kids are in foster care just in our county. And now the courts are saying we have to build another court to take all the cases coming. The need is huge. I mean, it's, it's overwhelming, and Chris and I... What do we do with that? Just recently, we, we decided to, to receive foster placements again. So we think we're ready now. We've got a little baby girl, Maya. A little four-month-old beautiful girl. She came uh, after midnight on Tuesday, the day we got back from our junior high retreat. <laughs> it's a busy day. The work is great. It's huge. It's overwhelming. And we start wondering, are we making any difference? Does this, does, this, does this help at all? The need is here. A woman from Casa said the reason, she, she, she believes the reason that we as the church, not this church, we as the church, haven't responded so rapidly to the need, is because we don't believe it's actually there. We don't actually see it. That if we saw it, of course we'd respond. That if we held a baby in our arms with her skull fractured in multiple places, we'd respond. That if we had our arms around a boy who's been sexually abused by his parents and his brothers, we'd respond. Or hold the baby in our arms who doesn't cry anymore because no one came before, so why, why cry now? we'd respond. I heard this from a former pastor, a guy named Jason Johnson, give this illustration. He says, if, imagine, imagine you, 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 and your, you and two other friends, think of your two best friends, you guys are going on a hiking excursion, you're walking through, uh, you're walking through the wilderness, through the forest, and you come up to a river. And you're thinking, oh, let's, let's figure out a way to cross the river. But then you start noticing that in the river are just kids floating down. Babies floating down the river. You're thinking, what is going on here? There's hundreds of babies just floating down this river. What would you do? I mean, clearly, there's the need. You're right there. You just, I'm jumping in that river. I'm pulling kids out. Like, what, what's going on? And you look back and you see your two friends are, are doing the same thing. You're thinking, what are you doing? One friend goes down to the other end of the river where he sees that there's a waterfall. And these kids, if they go off, they're hitting the rocks and they're dead. And so he starts taking those kids off down at the end and saying, I've got to stop, I've got to stop where this is going, where the, the end game of this. And your other friend starts wondering, why are these kids in the river in the first place? And so he goes upstream. And he starts saying, where is this coming from? We've got to put an end to this. And all three examples, all three responses were right and noble and are, are all needed for the rescue of these, these babies. One response is jumping in and starting to, to intervene and saying, I've got to save as many as I can. This is, what, this is what I'm called to. This is what we're called to in foster care and adoptive care. Let me make this very clear because I know this, is, this, is, this has been done before and I, me and Kristen both 
um, or repulsed by it. Not everyone is called to that. So please don't walk away feeling that guilt. Some of you are not called to foster care. <laughs> Stay away. No. Um, not everyone is called for that. Not everyone is called to do everything. But everyone is called to do something. And so maybe your heart is being tugged towards foster care. Maybe it's being towards adoptive care or supporting those who are in it. Maybe your heart's being tugged towards the, the end game, where are these, where are these kids ending up? In prison ministries? Maybe that's where your heart's being called. Maybe it's being called in sex trafficking right here in Waco. Maybe you're thinking, how are these kids getting here in the first place? And, and maybe your heart's being tugged towards, you know, I want to love these, these teenage moms who are having to make this decision. What do I do with my child? Do I keep it? Do I put it up for care? Do I abort it? Maybe your heart's being tugged towards and fighting the government's funding of all this. Not everyone is called to do everything, but everyone's called to do something, to care for this, because this is God's heart. He cares for the fatherless. The need is great. It's overwhelming, and we th- I know... I was thinking, you may be as well thinking, (laughs) it's too much. You know, Waco is hopeless. Like, there's not, what can I do? But think about, from God's point of view, as he looks at the world and sees all the tragedy and all the heartbreak and all the hurt, and yet he still jumped in the river. He still jumped in the mess. And he is loving us through it. He emptied himself. He took on the flesh. He decided to concentrate all of the glory of God into one body. To empty himself. To be born of a woman and to die. One of the most painful deaths there ever was. He jumped in the river. And that moves us to the last point, the the glory of adoption, the beauty of it. How wonderfully and remarkably and beautiful is this staple of our faith. Verse 6, and because... You are sons. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And God is telling us that we were once these children. We were once enslaved, but now we've been moved. Because of adoption, God has made us sons and daughters in the kingdom, and now heirs through God, so that we can say, everything here is mine. God has brought you into his kingdom and said, all that I have is yours. The God who can pinch a mountain into existence (laughs) adopts you into his family. And so we don't just relate to him now legally and saying, thank you for for acquitting me, lawyer. Um, That's not how we relate to God anymore. We relate to God uh, as he brings us into his family, as the judge brings us into his family, and we get to say to him, Abba, Father. And that word you may have heard before, Abba, means daddy or dada. When was the last time you used the word daddy? When was the last time you called your dad daddy or dada? It's probably been a while, right? It's a very intimate language. Very intimate for when the father is holding their son in their arms and having that connection and saying, daddy. And we get to cry, daddy, dada. That's the relationship we have. Not, uh, yes, sir, no, sir, may I come into your presence as your humble peasant. We get to say, Daddy, I love you. And he sings over us with his love. 
showers us with love, with affection. This is why John Piper says adoption is one of the most profound realities in the universe. In the universe, not the world, because adoption is bigger than the world. It started before the world, and it will outlast the world. So adoption is bigger even than the universe. J.I. Packer says adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. Higher than justification. Because to be right with God is, is a good thing. But to be brought into the family of God is what it's all about. To feel that affection of the Father is what it's about. This is why Spurgeon preached a whole sermon on the Father kissed him. A four-word sermon. (laughs) The Father kissed him. It was the sermon on the prodigal son who had spent all of his dad's money. He had left, and when he comes back, he's expecting his dad to be furious and angry with him. And what does his dad do? He throws off his cloak. He runs to him, gives him a big old bear hug. And then the father kissed him. It is the love of the father felt. Is what this adoption is. Is what the the affection that is here. So I want to connect the dots for you. The way we think about our earthly adoptions signals how we believe what our heavenly adoption is like. So if you look at these earthly adoptions and you say, is he really your child now? Is he really your son? I mean, yeah, he's your son with, with, with an asterisk. He's your adopted son. But if that's the way you see it played out here on earth, that's the way you're going to see it in heaven. And so you're going to ask yourself the question, am I really God's son? Am I really his daughter? Does he really love me? Get out of the shadow of the asterisk. Of course he's my son. He's not just my adopted son. He's my son forever, and I absolutely love him. And of course you are his sons and his daughters With no asterisk, with no footnote, you are his sons and daughters, and he loves you, and the Father will give you that big bear hug and kiss you. This is what Russell Moore's book on adoption speaks on when he talks about uh, the meaning of Joseph of Nazareth, how important Joseph of Nazareth was for us. He says, your salvation and mine depends entirely on Joseph as a real father to Jesus. If Joseph is not the real father of Jesus, you and I are going to hell. If Joseph is not the real father to Jesus, you and I are going to hell because Jesus' identity as the Christ, after all, is tied to his identity as a descendant of David, the legitimate heir to David's throne. So are we really God's son? Absolutely. And any time we doubt that, we're doing what verse 7 says. We're becoming a slave again. And he says, you're no longer a slave. Let me end with this story. Michael Reagan, famous radio talk show host and the son of President Ronald Reagan, uh, wrote in his book, Twice Adopted, that he received a call from his son's teacher, uh, that his son Cameron... uh, 
was having some trouble at school. And so he, he talked to the teacher for a while, tried to figure out what's going on, and finally Michael said, okay, where is my son right now? And the teacher said, he's on the, door, he's on the front steps of the school crying. And so Michael left work, went to, to the front steps, put his arm around his son and said, you know, what's wrong? And only as a, a third grader <laughs> could muster up, said, Daddy, is Grandpa really my grandpa? And Michael said, of course he is. Why, why would you ask? He, and he says, because one of the, the kids at school said that you were adopted. And if you were adopted, then he's not really your dad. And if he's not really your dad, then he's not really my grandpa. And this cut Michael to the heart. And he explains the pain he felt. And all of these emotions come rushing in. And the most vulnerable point in his, in his life, the thing that hurts him the most, that his own son is now accusing him of, not being really his dad's son. And the reporters don't help. The reporters, whenever they refer to Michael, they refer to him as Ronald Reagan's adopted son, not Ronald Reagan's son. But Michael is a, a Christian now, and he's learned about spiritual adoption, which is the theme of the book, Twice Adopted. And he responds to his son this way. Cameron, I was adopted into the Reagan family. And the Reagan family is my family. It's mine. President Reagan is my father, and he's your grandfather. You are just a part of the family as I am. You are the grandson of the president. You are the grandson of the president and are just as a part of the family as I am. And then he then points over to this man standing afar off. And he says, you see that man over there? In the dark suit? In the sunglasses? He wouldn't be there if you weren't his grandson. The Secret Service will not be there swirling you all the time if you were not his grandson. Would he? And Cameron laughs and says, no, I guess not. And so let me encourage you. When you are doubting, am I a son or daughter of the king? Appoint you to the cross and say, would that be there if you weren't his son and daughter? What's the point of the cross? If you weren't brought into the family, look to it. So whenever the devil accuses you and, and, and says, here are all the reasons you shouldn't be a part of the family. You can say, law, shut up. You accuse me no longer. You've lost your throne. Step down. I rest in my adoption. It's legal. You can't take it from me. It's bigger than the universe. It's wonderful. It's glorious. And I rest in that. And only till we see that, until we rest in that, will we actually be happy. We'll always be wondering, am I really his son or daughter? Adoption is heavenly. And it's earthly. May that heavenly adoption move us to care for the orphaned, to care for the abused, to care for the neglected because we can actually see it very real in the cross. Let's pray. Father, when we do doubt, 
Remind us of our adoption, of our relationship. May the Spirit cry in our hearts, Daddy. And God, would you, would you cast a vision to care for those as you do? Make clear how you would call us to respond and love the orphans because you've loved us, the orphans whether it's jumping in the river, whether it's going down the river, or it's going at the, the start of the river. God, the work is huge, but your grace is bigger. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.